See, thing is, is I didn't see a red light. My light was blue. It wasn't a light. It was a glow. Well, whatever it was. It was definitely got, wasn't a glow. No, I got excited for a second. I thought I was coming into the twilight zone. But... I've seen those glows. Yeah. It's okay. almost, it's like a light pollution. Yeah, it's, it's like exactly. A, it's basically no. what it is. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Anyways. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 430 in the morning. This is your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. How you doing, Pat? I'm back in the studio. I'm here. Me too. We're we're here. We're excited to do this one. This is a big episode. Episode number 75, I believe. 75. What did you think of episode 74? You think that came together pretty well? It was really good. The only problem is, and we're going to have to get a late night wrap up in. Sure, do it. I was a little bit off with Chris Hubbard's contract. He is actually in his fifth year with the Browns, and I think he got even got cut from that deal, but he he's, he re-upped with it. So. Okay, nice. He didn't quite play out that entire contract, but he got pretty close. Good Anyways, episode number 75 on the Browns right now, 75, is Joel Batonio. Nice. He's good. Not only is he the longest tenured Brown, he's one of two, I believe, that were first-team All-Pros last year. Mm. He and... Quentin Nelson were the first team All Pro guards, I believe. Nice. Anyways, he's 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 been an All Pro. He's been an All Pro the last either first or second team the last couple of years. Pro Bowler. He's in his ninth year with the Browns, nice. which is pretty cool. Yeah. And he kicked out and played left tackle a little bit last year and did pretty fucking well for a left guard. Yeah, he's always been a, a real solid lineman. I would consider him in the top three guards in the NFL. The only two that I might compete with him are Quentin Nelson and Zach Martin. Yeah. I would say Joel Batonio, if he's not better than Zach Martin, he's on equal footing with him. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys are plug and play. You can put them into any offense and they're going to be good. Now you can't say that about every guard though. Sure. Wyatt Teller, fantastic guard with the Browns. One of the best in the business as a Brown. Couldn't hack it with the Bills. Got traded. Why? He's a excellent run blocker, but he's not really built for pass blocking. So they have to you have to scheme around his weaknesses as a, as a pass blocker. He's not really weak as a pass blocker, but he can get he can get fucked with a little bit. Sure. Another guy that comes up is Larry Warford. Remember him? I think he even played for the Steelers for a hot minute. It, yeah, he sounds he was a familiar. Saint, a Saint for a long time. Sure. He is the perfect pass blocking guard because he's huge and he's stout and he can he can handle one on one anybody in the league. Back when, during his prime especially, and he racked up a bunch of accolades for that. But he's not a great athlete. He can man up against you all day if you're pass blocking. He can drop back, and he's going to anchor, and he's going to hold off anybody. But he's never going to open up a hole in the the running game. Sure. So you have to be very careful with guards especially, how the hell you're going to scheme around their their abilities. And you really have to pick a guard that's going to fit your offense. Uh, DeCastro was a great guard. DeCastro was very good. He was one of the few that could do it all. And Batonio's in that same class where he can do it all. He can play in the run game and the pass blocking game. It sucks that he had to retire because he, he had a pretty bad injury, yeah. I guess, at the end of the previous season. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was still playing at a high level, even though he was in his eighth or ninth year, I think. Yeah, he was. He was getting up there, but he, he was he maybe was still, 30, maybe 30. Yeah, I th- he had a solid at least two more years in him, I'd say. Anyways, that's our football talk for the day. Do you want to get your wrap-up in now? Yeah, real quick. Alrighty. So, last episode, when we were talking about our football, football numbers. Yep. <laughs> I thought Calvin Beecham <laughs> was 74. He was not 74. He was 68. He was 68 on the Steelers, and he's 68 on the Cardinals. 
And I've realized that in past episodes, I've guessed a lot of football players and numbers, and I've gotten just about every <laughs> one of them incorrect. <laughs> so just don't mind my stupidity when it comes to guessing what numbers these players wore. <laughs> That's all good. And what's funny is I actually looked that up afterwards. That's how I knew he was 68. Because I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? First of all... <laughs> You didn't even get his name right. It's, I know. <laughs> you it's said, Kelvin. You said Kevin Beecham. I I'm said like, Kevin. It's Kelvin. Kelvin. Okay. Yeah. I was close, but yeah. Not still, I got the name wrong, right. too. Yeah. I think it was, what was it? It was episode, I think it was Aliens Part 4. <laughs> episode number 30. Shit, I think it was 33, where we started that. Because yeah. we didn't have anything. And they said, <laughs> somebody said Trent Richardson. <laughs> and then all of a sudden after that. We started doing football yeah. players' numbers, but then there's really not a whole lot of good ones in the 30s or the 40s. Right. You we really had trouble. Gotta, we kind of had trouble through. through um, the, even through the 50s, we had trouble. Yeah. And then even in the 60s, we had trouble. We've had a it's lot of fucking be, trouble. It's going to be easier once we get into the 80s. Yeah, definitely. Wide receivers and shit. And then the 90s are going to be easy for defensive players, but. What are we going to do when we, you know, get out of the 90s? <laughs> <laughs> We're to improvise. We'll figure it out. Anyways, we'll see if we make it that far. Definitely. On to the news. How many news stories do you have today, sir? I have, let's see, I think I have two today. How many do you have? I brought four, and I'm hoping that you have at least one of these. I, I am definitely going to have at least one of them. All right, so I'll get started sure. with these, I think. This one is breaking news, almost breaking news. And this covers both a guy that we talk about a lot on the show and a website that we talk a lot about on the show. Okay. And this is out of the New York Times. Now, you probably could have seen this anywhere, though. Sure. Elon Musk mm. becomes Twitter's largest shareholder. Yes, sir. Now, we've talked about Elon Musk before. He's been openly critical of the Twitter platform, the Twitter communication social media platform. Mm -hmm. Now, Elon Musk, I believe he is currently the richest man in the world. Yes. It kind of bounces up and down depending on how his uh, his shares are doing in comparison to what Amazon's doing and a couple other guys are up in the mix right now. But right. he bought a 9.2% share. Yeah, it was like 2.9, close to $3 billion. Which I felt like Twitter would have been valued higher than that, but apparently not. Yeah, me too. I yeah, kinda, it yeah. seems like, yeah. Anyways... So that would be basically if he's worth two hundred billion. I don't know what his net worth is right now. It's that like wouldn't be two hundred and sixty billion, something like that. So that would be less than one percent of his net worth if he only paid two billion dollars for those shares. Right now, what's really funny and what's very interesting is that as a publicly traded company, once you go public, if you don't hold on to a large amount of equity, wow, two hundred sixty-seven billion. That's pretty good. But if pretty you good. if you start a company and you don't hold on to a lot of equity, you go public. You don't know who's going to be actually in control of your company. Exactly. And that's kind of what the Twitter people are recognizing is right now Elon Musk is the single largest shareholder. Yep. Now, with that amount of shares, the original news articles coming out were saying that, oh, he bought a passive stake. And that really isn't a real thing. Sure. The only passive stake that I'm familiar with that exists is Jeff Bezos' wife, who during the divorce settlement, she kept her shares of Amazon, but they negotiated the fact that Jeff Bezos retained the voting rights for those shares. Mm. So when they had their divorce, there was no prenup in place. She was entitled to 50% of the assets that the family controlled. Right. 
she got her shares, but they were able to negotiate the fact that Jeff Bezos was going to be able to speak for those shares okay. at Amazon board meetings. Ah. Unless something like that is in place, there really isn't such a thing as an actual passive stake in a company. Okay. Now, I own stakes in I don't know how many random-ass companies that I'm invested in right now. Sure. Mostly through ETFs, which when I do my financial podcast eventually, I'm going to break those down. Really good place to invest. But Elon Musk, obviously, is going to... He's not going to buy a passive stake in anything. He's If he's buying the larger... If he's the larger shareholder, he's going to have a voice in the room. You know what I mean? Yes. And it has been announced today, actually, that he is going to be a board member of Twitter yeah, now. saw that too, yep. And I absolutely love it. I love it too. I think this is great. Now, Twitter, we, we talk about it on our show a lot. We tweet a lot. It was the easiest social media network to get a podcast page up, basically. is mm-hmm. why we ended up starting with that, at least in my opinion. Sure. I don't like it, though. I don't like the I, platform. I don't like the way that people operate on the platform. It's a disaster. I agree. They censor a lot of shit. Yes. So now we have Elon Musk, who has proven, at least in the last year or so, that he doesn't give a fuck. It's hilarious how the media is spinning this whole thing. Well, they're like, trying to act like... They're trying to act like um, Elon Musk doesn't support free speech. Or he's going to censor the speech that they like, which isn't true. It's not what he's going to do. That's not what he's going to do at all. But that's what they're trying to make you feel like he's going to do. I just think it's funny because he, he's been talking a lot of shit about Twitter. And a lot of shit that he's yes. been talking has been done on Twitter. Yes, which is hilarious. And it's like... Oh, well, he's just, he guess who basically controls Twitter right now? Now, he doesn't really control it. This guy's basically Tony Stark. Yeah, he's, I, I really, I, I like, we we need a guy like him out there. Definitely. Anyways, that's my first news story. I didn't really get super in-depth with that one. but Do you do you see Elon Musk running for president? No. Me neither. Number one, he was born in South Africa, so he's going to have oh, a hard time making a claim. That's right. I forgot about that. Never mind. You but can't, what, he's fucked. But what's funny is Ted Cruz was born in Canada, but has ran for president. <laughs> I don't understand how the hell hey, he's allowed to. I don't understand how that works. I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. I always thought I was taught in school at least that you had to be born in the U.S. Yeah. Anyways, I, that's literally in the Constitution. Literally. Anyways, what do you have today, sir? Um, sorry, just had it up. That's what she said. This is from our favorite UPI on News. Awesome. He's back. Idaho man God, recaptures man. thumbtack world record on the Tamron Hall show. I saw this one. I didn't run it though. But this guy's back, our Idaho man. David Rush. David Rush. An Idaho man recaptured a Guinness World Record on the Tamron Hall Show by inserting 180 thumbtacks into a cork board in one minute. David Rush, who has broken more than 200 Guinness World Records to promote STEM education, and still to this day, Pat and I can, we cannot figure out how in the fuck this has anything to do with STEM education. Exactly. Was invited to the Tamron Show, Tamron Hall Show in New York to discuss his 2021 achievement of breaking 52 records in 52 weeks to attempt to recapture a title. Rush originally set the record for the most thumbtacks inserted into a cork board in summer of 2021, when he managed 133 in one minute time, in one minute time, but he later lost the record to someone who managed 140. So this guy's got some competition. What now. kills me? Yeah, this is what's starting to kill me about this guy <laughs> is someone out there is like, "Fuck you, David Rush. I can do better than you can." And has been consistently breaking these records. <laughs> like the lawnmower on the chin one we talked about a few weeks ago. Again, that was one that he had to go out there and recapture. Rush said he was a little bit nervous breaking a record on TV. But he has finished strong thanks to a blazing fast start. That's the end of the that's, I don't know. That's the end of the article. I don't know about this guy. Yeah. I don't know either about old David Rush. He's a little bit different of a character now. We've talked about him. This I think this has gotta be the fourth time we've brought him up on the yeah, show. He's still he's still doing it. 
again, we still haven't answered many of the questions out there. We got to do a David Rush episode. We got to sure. do a full episode on him at some point. Just so we can figure out who the fuck this guy is <laughs> and how the hell he can manage to pay for all this shit. Maybe we can try and contact him and get him on the show. Yes. But are we? is he going to be able to fit us into his busy schedule? No, what we're going to do, we're going to bring Ben Hooper and David Rush both into the <laughs> studio. Because Ben Hooper's obviously obsessed with David Rush. I'm pretty sure he's the only person writing these news articles. Definitely. And David Rush keeps doing this shit. So maybe there's a bromance going on there. You know what? We need to do a whole episode on Ben Hooper to figure out how the fuck he writes all these articles. See, he probably would not like us. Probably not. Anyways. But yeah, we do need <laughs> we do need to figure that shit out. But I feel like I could do it. I feel like if I yeah, probably. just kind of focused in on what I was going for. Because you look at a lot of his shit. A lot of it's like lottery yeah. Lottery winning shit. Yeah, I guess it could be pretty easy. I he mean, does a lot of animal escapes. I guess you could write a lot in like a good eight hours a day. I yeah. Guess. Sure. I agree. And for my next news story, where I'm going to none other than UPI Odd News. All right. And Ben Hooper yet again. All right. Now, this news story, though, I'm using UPI Odd News because this is where I was able to find the best article. This one was actually sent in by a listener, though. Okay. Who just wanted us to talk about this one. I think it's a pretty good one. All right. Flamingo that escaped Kansas Zoo in 2005 spotted on Texas coast. A flamingo that flew the coop from a Kansas Zoo 17 years ago was caught on video this month on the Texas coast. The Coastal Fisheries Division of the Texas Park and Wildlife posted a video to Facebook showing the flamingo on the coast of Rhodes Point in Cox Bay near Port Lavica. Officials say the flamingo is known as number 492. The number on its tag. The bird was one of two African flamingos that escaped from the Sedwick County Zoo in Wichita during a June 27, 2005 storm. The zoo said the flamingo's feathers had not been clipped in some time, allowing the bird to fly. The flamingo separated shortly after the escape with 492 heading towards the Gulf Coast. The other flamingo headed north and has not been seen since 2005. The Facebook post by the Coastal Fisheries referred to the bird as Pink Floyd. (laughs) <laughs> well, that was the name of the flamingo that escaped from its owner in the Great Salt Lake and was spotted repeatedly on the golf course until 2005, the same year as 492's escape. So we've got a lot of flamingos getting out. <laughs> Zoo officials say that have not attempted to recapture number 492 since the avian's escape, as any attempt would likely disturb local wildlife and cause distress of the flamingo. No fucking shit. It's been flying around for 17 years. 17 years? The division said their video was recorded March 10th by David Foreman. So thank you for David Foreman for uh, capturing that video. So they've known about this flamingo. Yes. Why have? Why didn't they just go and grab it? Because why, they why, are they, why are they letting it run around for 17 it's years? It's a fucking vicious bird of prey at the end of the day. You're telling me they can't capture this thing? It's a big bird. A flamingo's a big bird. Yeah, sure. It's probably as, like at least as tall as like microphone stand. Yeah, I've seen them. They got those sharp talons. Yeah. They got the beak. They can fly. How the hell do you capture any bird? I mean, three weeks ago we talked about the parrot, like the 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 the, the, the parrot statue. Yeah. They had a hard time catching that. They really didn't have a plan in place. <laughs> How the hell are you gonna do for a fucking flamingo, which is a vicious bird? All right, I feel like a group of very intelligent wildlife expert humans over the course of 17 years could figure out a way to capture number 492. Now, the problem is is you have to get a group of very intelligent wildlife experts. (laughs) Unfortunately, people that are intelligent with wildlife tend to not be very analytically oriented (laughs) or problem-solving oriented or attention to detail oriented, unfortunately. I don't know. I just... We can... 
we can catch a lot of shit in this world. Just makes me hard to believe they couldn't figure out how to catch a damn flamingo. Maybe it just wasn't a priority. Uh, that, that's I mean, true. Maybe they just maybe they just eh, let it go. There, there's a big difference between a flamingo. I mean, a flamingo is a vicious bird if you try to like fuck with it. Sure, but it's not like a cougar or a lion. That's true. A, maybe they just didn't care. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I can see that. There are other animals out that would probably take priority over this. That makes sense. But 17 years—that's a long time for. That's, that is a long time. Now, what is their range? Where do flamingos live? I don't know where the hell flamingos live. I don't know anything. Florida, they, you've been to Florida. Have you seen flamingos down there? They're not in the wild. I don't know where the hell they are. I have no idea. I don't know anything about them. I don't. I feel like they're not from around here. I think they, they get pink because they eat shrimp or something. Something like that, yeah. But anyways, that's a news story. That one was sent in by a listener. Thank so, you for sending that in. And I actually ended up seeing that one in a few different places. After that listener sent that one, and it started popping up regularly. Well, it was a big so. story. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> anyways, what else do you have today, sir? So I saw this article on Facebook from Unilad. 93-year-old German Holocaust denier back in jail. Holocaust denier? Look at this woman. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus Christ. A 93-year-old woman has been jailed for the second time in four years for spouting Holocaust denial just days after she was released from her previous sentence. In May 2018, Ursula Haverbeck hit headlines after going on the run to escape a -a two-and-a-half-year jail sentence for Holocaust denial. Nicknamed Nazi Grandma, her stunt (laughs) sparked a five-day manhunt after which she was finally caught. Haverback is now set to spend another year in jail for the same crime after the regional court of Berlin handed her a one-year prison sentence on the 1st of April. The 93-year-old's latest sentence comes in light of two prior convictions in 2017 and late 2020. Back in 2017, she was sentenced to six months in jail after denying a Holocaust event at the Lichtenraid branch of the Sachsenhausen concentration camp. Don't know if I said that correctly. Then, at the end of 2020, she was handed a one-year prison sentence for denying the Holocaust during an interview, which was published online. The regional court of Berlin upheld both cases, but decided that a total punishment of one year in prison was appropriate, despite her lawyer pushing for full acquittal. According to court rec- reports, Haverback failed to show any contrition during her trial, so her sentence could not be suspended. However, the sentence is not yet final, meaning she could take it to the Berlin Court of Appeals if she chooses to. Haverback was only just released from a previous sentence at prison in Bielefeld when she found herself facing jail again. There's a little more to the article, but all this woman has to do is just not say she denies the Holocaust and she can stay out of jail. Wow. <laughs> but this woman just cannot stop denying that. <laughs> now, the, the, I guess the only, question, the only question, I guess this is Germany. Sure. Now, obviously, I don't deny the Holocaust. I'm pretty sure you don't either. But where does the free speech line up? I mean, what is she doing? What, where, where's the crime? Exactly. These that, are, that's, where mean, my, that's where my question lines up. Sure, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, people say wacky shit all the time. Even, even well, obviously, um, in Germany, they don't have freedom of speech laws like we have here. I guess that is true. In the United States. That which, is true. Which proves how important our freedom of speech is. I know, now, that's, I'm not trying to endorse... Holocaust denial, but at the same time... Even people that say shit we don't agree with, 
they should have the right to say it. Exactly. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, but at the same time, what the fuck's going on here? You got this 93-year-old woman that just doesn't hey. care. And how the hell do you de- <laughs> how, how do you define contrition? Sure. How do you recognize that? How is that a recognizable, measurable thing that you could recognize? Sure. Anyways, that's all I got to comment on that one. Do you have anything more with that one? Nope, that's it. All right, I had two more. I'm only going to run one. I feel like we can get this one in. Sure. The one isn't really time-sensitive, but this one I believe is, though. This was going to be out of TamilTech.in, which is an Indian website. Stephen Hawking's warning ignored as scientists to broadcast Earth's location to aliens. Yeah, I saw this. I didn't read it, though. Scientists plan to promote efforts to search for extraterrestrial life by broadcasting the location of the Earth in space with nude pictures of men and women. (laughs) The Beacon in the Galaxy Project, B-I-T-G, reveals information about our solar system, human DNA, and the Arecibo, Arecibo, can you pronounce that? You're asking the wrong motherfucker. Arecibo? Yeah, Arecibo. That's how I would say it, yep. The Arecibo Radio Telescope. Telescopes were used to search for extraterrestrial life, and in 1974, it sent messages to search for extraterrestrial beings. By sharing the location of Earth and unwanted nude images, the scientists seem to ignore the warnings issued by theoretical physicist and research director at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology at Cambridge University, Stephen Hawking, the late Stephen Hawking. I think he's dead by now. Yes, he is. In 2015, the famous physicist warned against reaching alien life when scientists launched Breakthrough Listen, a $100 million project aimed at searching for extraterrestrial life in outer space. Mr. Hawking said, if you look at history, contact between humans and less intelligent organisms has often brought disaster from their point of view. And encounters between civilizations and advanced versus primitive technology have gone bad for the less advanced. He also warned that aliens would find the signal thought not to see us humans as any more valuable than we see bacteria. Now, the article goes on a little bit, but basically... I feel like the aliens already know everything, so it's not that big of a deal. As if they're not already cognizant of us. Right. You know what I mean? Like, what what the fuck kind of secrets are we going <laughs> to... Do we do we hold, and where, where do we, what are we going to do? What, what's our capability? I think it's pretty shitty capability. Yeah, like, I don't really... I don't even know where to go with that article. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm all for trying to make contact. Now, I mean, I don't know about their methods or their methodology or how the hell they're going to do it. I guess they're using like a binary code or something, which you would hope would work. But how the hell do we know that they can interpret that type of thing? We don't. And that's where a lot of people say that geometry is recognizable. Like there are some patterns that don't form naturally in the world. For some reason, like in the natural world that we understand it. Mm-hmm. So people say that that could be a form of communication to prove that intelligent life exists. Mm. Is creating a pattern that wouldn't form naturally. But how the hell do you define that? Right. You can't. So. Anyways, I feel like that's a good segue into. Our main topic. Yes, Ben. What is our main topic? Pat, we are going to be doing Aliens Part 10. Is this part 10? I hope. I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. I feel like it is. I hope so. Yeah, part 10. Yes, Aliens Part 10. What and are we going to be getting into, Pat? This week, we're going to be talking kind of about ancient aliens, ancient astronaut theories, and like what, what the best evidence is sure. for ancient encounters with aliens. This is Pat's episode, by the way. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Real quick, I thought I would give, just for just in case this is like any of our listeners' first episode or first episode alien episode okay to be specific 
Just a quick rundown of ancient aliens in general, the theory behind ancient astronauts, ancient aliens. Yes, and to to add real quick before you get into that, sure, we have talked about this type of thing in bits and pieces before. Yes, but we really have not done a dedicated ancient alien episode before. Sure, we've hit on it, and I I can't even tell you what numbers, but Pat knows a, Pat knows a lot about this shit. We hit on it in Aliens Part One a little bit. We hit on it even in Aliens Part Nine. We kind of hit on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. Then why don't you go ahead and give us that breakdown? So, and real quick, everybody should go back and check out our past Alien episodes as well, because they were all pretty awesome. Yes, they were all pretty I'm going to put together a Spotify playlist for our listeners, but it'll just be all aliens all the time. Hell yeah. That'd we've be got sweet. a lot of good content out there. Definitely. So, now the term ancient alien basically comes from a, a hypothesis that states that extraterrestrials, extraterrestrials have visited Earth and made contact with aliens during ancient times, like in antiquity or prehistoric times. Sure. And from this contact, a lot of possible evidence shows that aliens could have influenced or been a part of a lot of shit throughout history, like the creation of technologies, structures, cultures, even, you know, religions, possibly, spirituality, shit like that. Definitely. And what gets really interesting, too, and I was, I've was i been thinking about this topic all day. This is what I spent all day at work thinking about, trying to put together how do we even approach this discussion cohesively for a small episode, given the amount of information that's out there. Sure. So I'm trying to break down, like, major trends as to, number one, why would people assume that aliens might have been part of humanity like why would they assume that they would have had an influence in ancient humanity right and what i kept on running into is a situation where the world has given us two narratives either basically essentially creationism where a god created humanity and we are the chosen people of a god Mm -hmm. which is what pretty much most major monotheistic religions practice and even polytheistic religions to an extent like hinduism Mm -hmm. practices that concept in some form or fashion And then we're stuck with the complete antithesis of that, which is the humanistic, Darwinistic, scientific approach where basically life is essentially an anomaly that just happened. Yeah. But nothing exists beyond the material presence of our world. We just have to understand the material presence to understand how we how we came to be, how we function, etc. Right. So basically you got religion and you got science kind of striving for control. Mm-hmm. The problem with the ancient astronaut theory is it kind of pokes holes in both without supporting either. Sure. If that makes any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Because you look at the creation stories, and there's a lot of creation stories that spread across different cultures that are very similar. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of very similar things in cultures that otherwise wouldn't have any contact with each other. Sure. How can the God have created the Jewish people as a chosen one, as like the Jewish believe, if there's a different story from a different culture, kind of sort of basically saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So then you look at, okay, we'll look at the scientific thing for a second. Darwinism, evolution in general, is dependent on finding a missing link. Mm-hmm. between our ape ancestors that we're pretty sure we kind of ascended from in some form or fashion to humans. And the problem with the scientific explanation of that is we still don't have it. We still have not found the the point in which humans, intelligent humans, made the transition from chimpanzees to actual civilization-creating people. Right. So we look at all of this and it's like, well, this one doesn't really make sense, but this explanation doesn't really make sense either. There's room for a new explanation. The new explanation is... Aliens. Aliens, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not saying it's aliens. But it could be aliens. But it's aliens. <laughs> so that's that's really how the whole ancient astronaut 
thing comes to be because history, sure. no matter where you go, who you study, as long as you're in a classroom by somebody that wants you to learn as opposed to wants to preach a narrative, you're going to run into situations where you're like, we do not know. We really can't definitively explain this, that, or the other thing. Right. And it leaves room for speculation to and just so, run rampant. And sometimes an alien narrative just kind of fits some of these scenarios. It is really weird giving some of this evidence that is left. I mean, look at what Graham Hancock does, for example. Yeah. He just looks at stuff that doesn't fit the narrative, and he forces more established archaeologists and anthropologists to answer questions that seem to be left out in the open right. and forgotten about. So with this episode, we're going to be kind of breaking down what we kind of think the best evidence actually is, etc. Now, do you want to get into anything before we get this one going? Anything more? No, we can get rolling. All right. Do you want to start off? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you can start if you want. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll get started with this one. Sure. And again, before I get into it too much more, I was thinking about like, why aren't these questions being entertained by actual scholars? Like you would feel like you look at some of this shit and it's like, go back like Tepe, for example. Why the fuck aren't people like forcing the hand of these researchers to figure out what the fuck's going on? Right. And then I'm starting to realize that if you're an academic, for example, you've spent a lot of time studying a specific discipline, whether it's history, whatever, archaeology, whatever. You're not building other skills in the meantime. So basically your livelihood is dependent upon being successful or at least relevant in this discipline. Right. Once you get to a certain point, if you got a PhD in history and you're 45, you're not restarting your career as a financial analyst or something. You know what I mean? Right. So you got to keep yourself relevant and you got to keep money coming in because at the end of the day, everybody needs to live. Right. So that becomes a very easy situation where you got this theory out there, but the people paying the bills don't want you talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's pay the bills or get cut out. You don't have any skills to fall back on. What are you going to do? I think that happens a lot more than anybody in academia would want to admit. I can see it. So then I was thinking about it, too. You got a lot of people that work for the government that are exposed to this type of shit, whether it's military, even civilian intelligence, whatever. You run into a lot of situations where something gets discovered, and maybe it's not the government doing the actual discovery, but the government's coming in on it. Yeah. And then NDAs get, non-disclosure agreements get busted out. It's like, don't talk about this. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So that's like, well, why wouldn't the government official want to talk about it? It's like, number one, if you're a government official, if you're working for the government, nine times out of 10, unless you're in a certain, like a, like a police or even in the military, nine times out of 10, outside of those two disciplines, you're probably getting paid more than what your actual value is. So you want to keep that job. Sure. And then the one thing that the government keeps doing that corporate America has stopped doing almost completely now is pensions. Mm. Government people get pensions for their retirement. Yeah, they do. What's the easiest way to fuck with an old guy that wants to start talking? I'll take away your fucking pension. Even if you don't even have to take it away, you just fuck with the paperwork. Just fuck with the paperwork. Checks aren't going to be coming in for a few months. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's complete power that can be wielded upon somebody that might have had access to sensitive information. Right. So to answer the, the theory of why... Why wouldn't people talk about this? I think that's pretty, people's livelihoods are at stake a lot of times. You have yeah. to find the right person who's got a lot of skills and the willingness to kind of challenge things with the ability to fall back upon something else if it doesn't go well. Not to mention you got the men in black running around. Well, yeah, that, that too. I don't know what the hell. I feel like they have to have like, they have to all have been like committing serious crimes. That would be like life breaking if they came out. Right. So that's how they kind of keep those guys in check. You know what I mean? Sure. Anyways. So when we get into this discussion. 
there's a ton of evidence. Now, the two authors that I like a lot, and we both read the Chariot of the Gods book. I think you at least started it. I listened to most of it. Eric Von Daniken, he's kind of like the godfather of this, and he's still alive. He still does these videos. He's on the Ancient Alien shows a little bit. Now, he's at least 85. He might even be in his 90s by now, but he's still out there doing this shit. Yeah. And the other guy that I like is the author of the book that I brought to the studio, Zachariah Sitchin, who he passed away in 2010, I believe, who also did a ton of work on... Anunnaki theories and whatever. He's got like nine books and I got them Mm. all. Really good, really good places to start if you want to research this type of shit. But circling back to the actual topic, I just rambled on about all sorts of bullshit. You're good. But um, when we look at actual evidence and the thing that everybody talks about is, okay, we got pyramids in Egypt, pyramids in South America that look very similar. Why? Because conventional anthropology sets that these cultures would not have any contact with each other. Why build pyramids? So a lot of people are like, oh, it's just a coincidence. A lot of people are like, oh, that's just how what humans would do, even though we really don't have any evidence there's, for that. There's no telling what humans would do. And then you'll have people that are just like, oh, well, it's just... They they were they were privy to the same knowledge, but won't really explain where the knowledge came from. Right. So I was watching this thing today. This was a TED Talk by a guy named Roger G. Gilbertson. Now, this was a really good TED Talk, but he really, he, he started to make a really good point, and then he, he kind of shied away from it because he didn't want to be an ancient astronaut theorist, even though he really explained every, he put all the pieces on the table, and then he was just, just kind of backtracking. He's like, but it's not actually aliens. So what he was <laughs> talking about, and he started off with the Earth. Okay, the Earth is a sphere. What he was curious about is, if you put a satellite up in orbit around the Earth, he was curious about the track that the satellite would leave. He called it the ground track, I believe. Meaning, if you were to take the satellite up there, the satellite's up in the sky, the Earth is the Earth, and you were to draw a straight line down from the exact bottom of the satellite and watch it trace around the Earth as it orbits, Uh what kind of line you could draw, basically. Now, there are some satellites that get shot up in the Earth, from the Earth, that remain stationary, meaning they're up there no matter where you're at, they're up there. They're right there. Yeah. So if one gets shot over, let's say Chicago, it's shot in such an altitude and at such a speed that it always hits over Chicago no matter what. So no matter what happens, it's it's its track is always just going to be a single point. Right. But then you have satellites that move faster than the Earth. So they're traveling around the Earth as the Earth is orbiting. Now, they don't form a concentric circle around the Earth. It's kind of more of like an elliptical where it's kind of like weaving back and forth, basically. Yeah. Because you have two different things spinning at two different speeds. Sure, they're going to stay the same distance away. Yeah. But it's going to be over a different part of the Earth at any given time. Right. A good example of that is the International Space Station where you don't know where the fuck it's going to be. But it travels around the world like once every seven, nine minutes or something. I don't know what the actual number is. But if you were to draw, if if it were dragging a big-ass pen, it would just be drawn like just lines around the Earth like a a string wool around a ball or whatever right so that's where this whole guy this guy's got this whole thing going basically and he didn't just want to do it on the equator even though he could just do this on the equator he wanted to create a, just an actual circle around the world like what at what height does the earth or what height does the satellite need to be at what speed does it need to be traveling yada 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 at what angle does it need to be angled at and what he ended up doing is he came up with this formula somehow on this website where he had a 31 degree incline from the equator okay so the satellite was you got the equator as a plane and the plane can extend very far out like it's kind of the moon basically the satellite is going to be located 31 degrees above the equator okay it was going to be 60,000 kilometers away from the earth and it was going to travel at a speed where it orbit the earth once every two days so the earth orbits at one it, it rotates at one day basically uh-huh. this thing was going to travel around at two days okay if he puts together all, all those things together that satellite satellite sits outside of the Van Allen belt 
which is the belt of radiation around the world where basically like the astronauts can't sit. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to be in there because you're gonna get fried by radiation. Right. And it's gonna fuck with your electronics. And it also sits outside of the magnetic field of the Earth. I mean, if you put the satellite right there, no Van Allen belt, so no radiation, and you're not gonna be affected by the magnetic field of the Earth. Mm. Why it sits right there like this, I really don't know. We didn't really get into that. But when you track the ground track of the satellite sitting right where it would be, it starts off, it's going to line up right over Giza, and it's going to go through the Sahara, and it's going to hit a couple more sites. Then it's going to swing back down into South America and hit right over Machu Picchu. Mm. It's going to cross very closely over Nazca. It's going to hit Easter Easter Island, the Easter Island with the Moai. Yep. It's going to run right over that, which that's out in the middle of the fucking Pacific. That's just out in the middle of nowhere, basically. Right. And then it's going to swing back up across the Pacific through Cambodia. There's a site called Angkor Wat, which is another one of these, these ancient structures. It's like a big-ass temple that we really don't know how the hell they were able to create this type of thing. And this track is going to swing northward towards Pakistan, where it's going to run into Mohenjo-Daro. And it's also going to run through the ancient biblical city of Ur, where Abraham came from. Mm. So if you look at this track, it's going to hit all these sites. It's going to hit all these sites where we think freaking aliens helped build. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, it's really weird, the fact that he was able to come up with a formula that was able to fit to this. Yeah. But at the same time, when you look at the, the space geograph- geography of where the hell it's at, it's a perfect spot for a mothership just to sit. What's also really interesting about this, this location and space where the satellite would have to sit to do all this shit is it's going to be in almost, I think he said exactly perpetual sunlight, meaning it's never going to go dark. It's always going to be, it's never going to be covered by the shadow of the sun or by the shadow of the earth. Wow. So what could you do with that access to sunlight? A whole lot of shit. All kinds of shit. You could be beaming energy right back down to earth, basically. Right. Now, why this guy decided to stop at saying it was ancient aliens, even though he started off talking about the logistics of the satellite and how much power it could harness. Uh-huh. I don't know why the hell he decided to stop there. Outside of maybe someone held a gun to his head and said, don't talk about it. But Probably. Think about that for a second. It's really interesting. That is really interesting. And there's a lot of different, like, intricate aspects of what's going on. That's like, how the hell can you explain this? Like, Easter Island like, is... There's no way that is a coincidence. <laughs> it really is I'm weird. sorry. Now, there are going to be other people that are going to do TED Talks, and they're going to talk about, well, Stonehenge isn't part of this, or Gobekli Tepe isn't part of this, or Serpent Mound in Ohio isn't part of this. Yeah, but these are specifically like pyramids, though, aren't they? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of pyramidic structures. And what's really weird is Machu Picchu is made of basalt, which is a type of really hard stone. And Easter Island is 4,000 miles away in the Pacific Ocean, made of the exact, there are walls there, not even the, not even the heads, there's just walls there. The exact same stone, huge, like ridiculously yeah. huge, and they're, they're cut the exact same way. A similar situation with Stonehenge. Sure. Archaeologists claim to have found where the, it's called, uh, it's called Sarsen Stone, Sanding Stones. Sars, Sarsen, Sarsen Standing Stones is what Stonehenge was made out of. Sure. And they claim to have found um, the two quarries where they got those stones from. No shit. Over 180 miles away. And these and these stones are like 25 tons. How exactly are they transporting these stones? Again, yeah, I have no idea. And Stonehenge is dated to be, uh, we're talking 3,000, 2,000 BC, so you're talking 5,000 years ago. Exactly. And what's also weird too, and I don't know, I might be talking about my ass here. I feel like with a lot of these different civilizations, like Egypt, for example, there's a lot of other evidence of ancient structures being built. And especially in the Middle East, and in Mesopotamia, there's a lot of shit out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you get into Europe, what what is there? 
until the Roman, until the really the Greeks show up. There really isn't yeah. a whole lot of evidence for that, any of that type of shit. And Stonehenge is like the only thing left from that era. And it's like even in the Americas, like look at all these fucking pyramids. Even in Mexico, there's a ton of these. Well, what's interesting about Stonehenge? Yes, is they found other discoveries similar to Stonehenge near that area. Sure. There, there's, there's one called I think it's called like Woodhenge. Okay. They're all like just sticking out of the ground like small little stubs now. But at one point, they were tall like wooden like pegged structures that were in a circular formation similar to Stonehenge. Sure. And then there's another one called like Superhenge, which none of that is left, but they they still have like this area where it was, and there's still stones around the original outer ring, but they were like literally three stone, like there were literally like three hinges in like the same place. So that, that all would, dating back thousands of years ago. That would point to there being a complex. All, but we don't know a goddamn thing about who the hell could have created Stonehenge. We don't. We don't know a damn. That's thing the about other it. problem. At least with Egypt, we got some hieroglyphics. All on the Salisbury Plain, and it's all like west of the hell is it called Amesbury River. Sure. So why this location? I don't know. To have three of these hinges, it's weird. I don't know. And we could even compare Stonehenge to Gobekli Tepe, which we've talked about before on yeah. the show. Again, it's a very it's it's a megalithic, which is huge stone is what megalithic basically translates into. Yeah. These huge stone complexes that defy they they don't fit with anything else that we've talked about. Yeah, you know, for those of you do, who don't know what Stonehenge is, I mean, these these stones are absolutely huge. They're like 13 feet high, 7 feet wide. 25 and tons? Most of them weigh 25 tons. A couple of them were like 50 tons. Wow. So it's like how at this time there's no technology. There's hardly there's there's hardly enough technology to cut these rocks from from the area in which it was. I think I read one thing where a lot of the stones were kind of like naturally came out like that pillar type yes. look. So they were kind of able to extract it easily like that. But I mean, they had like I think they had what wooden chisels at that point. Maybe uh, some, maybe some stone, maybe some uh, stone hand tools. But you're not talking. This is five thousand years ago. Exactly, and that's the other thing. That this guy that I talked about on this video, I'm gonna say his name again real quick. Close you can just cut all that. No, that was really good. <laughs> that was really good. But going with that. This Roger Gilbertson guy brought up the fact that we really don't have the technology today to cut the stones that are at Machu Picchu. Like, we really don't have anything that can cut stone like this. Right. It can cut through basalt like this. And Stonehenge is the same as I think. How the fuck? You couldn't manufacture that. How the hell do you manufacture that without using concrete? I have no idea. I mean, that's the only idea that I would be able to come up with is concrete. I'm just, you know, I was trying to think of scenarios in my head how they could transport these stones. And they claim to have proven that they did not do it by sea or anything like that. It was all done on land. So I just don't understand how they were able to do it. Then you got the whole, like, people try to explain, even the pyramids, they try to explain with these rollers... Yeah. But how do you work out the logistics of any of that? Like, how do, like how do you lower a 25-ton a, a piece of rock? How do you lower it from its position? Cut it and then lower it onto the rollers? Like, how, I just don't see how that's possible. And the other problem, too, is how, even if even if they were able to do it that way, you would feel like there would be some evidence of the process somewhere, somehow left behind. Something. like Something to point to. What kind of holy structure were they able to build strong enough to carry 25 tons like I, how do you I, even start that how the hell do you start <laughs> even if you were able to create a transportation system how do you lift up one corner of that rack and who pulls it and pushes it? Like, how do you how do you move it 
You use oxen. You need a lot of fucking oxen. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so it is, it is it is really complicated. It's like, how the fuck does any of this happen? Yeah, man. Same thing with the Great Pyramids. And that's why, the, that's why these theories are going to perpetuate forever. That's why ancient aliens, they've got... I, I did a copy. I was going to bring a printout of all the al- ancient alien episode descriptions because mm-hmm. we can kind of sift through them. I decided against that because it would have been a 40-page print-off. <laughs> there have been, like, almost 200 episodes, and they're still creating new seasons. I guess there's a new season out right now that they're working on that's wow. coming out every week. So, yeah, how the fuck do you do any of this shit? You know what's the most incredible thing to me? Sure. Is how they got the giant, like, seven ton granite slabs into the Great Pyramid in Egypt. The I forget which one it was. The uh, was it the middle one. The, the 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 big one. Yeah, the big one. Yeah, Giza. Yeah, they and then there's they had them on the bottom and then they had them like in the air in the king's chamber wherever the which fuck it was called. It wasn't it, a tomb. Hundred percent wasn't a tomb. But yeah, but it you know how how the hell did they get those granite pieces up there inside the pyramid? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And even if we could just There's, say... There were multiple. It's multiple. Even if we had an explanation for that, how the fuck was everything so precise? How the hell does it line yeah. up like, like due... The face is like literally due north, but not even due north as we know it. It was due north as it would have been built 12,000 years ago or whatever the fuck it yeah. was built. And Stonehenge, Stonehenge was construction was constructed perfectly to line up with the summer solstice. Which again is ridiculous. Like how did they how did how were they able to do that perfectly? Back to the pyramids though real quick. The other thing that killed me is you got the two the two really big ones. Now the one's bigger than the other one. It's like taller. Yeah. But it something about how the one's bigger but it actually sits the the smaller one sits up higher. Yeah. So they're actually the same level above sea level. Yeah. As each other. Like how the hell is that possible? Yeah, man. And the same exact thing happens in South America or yeah. in even in Me- or maybe in Mexico, I don't know if it was the Olmec culture or whoever. They did the same exact thing where they had two pyramids, one slightly smaller. I think we're going to see those ruins. Are you? Yeah, when we go on our honeymoon. I think that Olmec? I think it's around the same. I don't, or is it the is it the Olmecs? I forget which one we're doing. There's all you got the Olmec and you have the uh, the Toltec. I don't think it's the Toltec. I, I'll have to I'll have to figure that is out it, for you. Uh, Mexico is it like the south Me- Mexico? Like yep. the Gulf of Mexico, but Cancun. like the south coast. Yeah. Yes. In that area. That's some good shit right there. You got to get some... Uh, yeah, we're going... I don't think we're going to see the pyramids. We're going to see the ruins. But it's all ridiculous shit. Yeah, I'm super excited to see that shit. Now, my last one real quick I want to bring up real quick. Sure. Same video, same sites for the most part, but we're going to be getting a little bit even crazier with this one. There's a figure called the Handbag of the Gods, mm. where basically it's like this like eagle bird guy that is carved in the stone... But he's holding a bag, so he's like he's got like wings, and sometimes he's got a bird head. But it's a it's a figure of a, a human or what would be humanoid. But he's carrying this weird. It looks like a small like a like with a small handle and like a small per, like a purse or like a clutch or whatever the fuck they wear or use. Yeah, he's holding it in his hand with his hand like hanging down. Now what's weird about that figure is those ca- those carvings can be found in carvings from the Olmec, which is in Mexico, which is like the earliest known Central South American type civilization. The Toltec, which like seceded them basically, uh-huh. also in the same area. Area The Assyrians, which would have been Mesopotamia old biblical times. 
the Sumerians, which is the oldest culture that we're familiar with, and the same figures also found at Gobekli Tepe in Turkey, which we know is at least 10,000 years old. Wow. So all five of those places that we know of have had archaeological evidence finding these weird-ass little people holding this weird-ass little bag or whatever. Mm. Now, if we talk to our good friend Graham Hancock, he would probably postulate that the little handbag type thing is holding psychedelic drugs. I can see it. So... (laughs) Do with that what you will. But it's weird. It's just it's really weird seeing it pop up. And we're not even talking about across the world. We're talking about almost ten thousand years of civilization where this thing has popped up. Yeah. So even if it's not aliens, there had to have been contact between these groups. If if it's not alien, if it's not someone else outside influencing them, how the hell does the same figure keep popping up? Is it coincidence? Are humans just trained to believe that they need to carve a figure of this guy holding this weird ass little bag thing? Now there are gonna be people that are gonna say it's all a coincidence or you could find that type of thing everywhere. But really can you? Really can you explain that? They haven't been able to. I mean we're talking <laughs> about and we're talking about cultures that according to the popular mainstream narrative, there would have been no contact with Asia and the Americas until the well shit, the Vikings, I guess, through Europe, but Columbus, really. Yeah. And Columbus wasn't even Asia, that was Europe. That wasn't Mesopotamia. Right. Where he came from. So how the fuck do you explain any of that? And then go back to Tepe too. This was buried 10,000 years ago. And we really can't debate that. It's older than that. Probably 11,600 years ago. Yeah, I thought that was before the so-called huge event. Yeah. That was signs before that. Yeah. The Younger Dryas. Yes. So we're talking 12,000. Yeah. So yeah, that's crazy. So. You can't explain it. Like You literally can't explain it. And then too, looking at the space properties of all this shit. Like even back to the guy with that satellite thing, the hypothetical satellite. Of course, that's where the mothership would, would park itself. Right. Exactly. Because it, just, it makes sense based on the physics of the earth. If you want to be in a spot where you assume that they're biological and you assume they're going to be susceptible to the same problems that we could be with radiation and magnetic fields. Right. That's exactly where you'd park a spaceship. I don't know. To me, that's pretty compelling evidence. That's, that's pretty compelling to me as well. Now, I need to do a lot more reading on this topic. I feel like we could do a 10-part Aliens episode just on Ancient Aliens. <laughs> uh, check out the show, though, Ancient Aliens. I don't know where the hell it's streaming at. I think it's a History Channel show. I think show, it is History Channel, But yeah. it's got to be streaming somewhere. It's pretty good. Giorgio Sukulos is the, the guy, the meme guy. He's yeah. on, like, every episode. <laughs> He's not even like he's not even a scholar. He's a sports guy. Right. <laughs> That's where he came from. <laughs> he's a sports media guy, but he's into this shit and he's making it popular. Right. Now I had one quick comment on that show real quick. Now that one gets shit on relentlessly by the mainstream academic whatever. It does. But when you watch it, there a lot of the stuff they're talking about is real stuff. It's real history, it's real uh religion information is getting depicted on the show right the theories get out of hand and i'm not going to say i subscribe to any of them or even most of them but what i think is going on and the reason well it is a very popular show and that's what mainstream archaeologists and anthropologists have to deal with the fact is it doesn't matter what they think is true or what people believe the show gets more attention than those guys are ever going to get right but what i think is going on to an extent is it's kind of a situation where it's like hiding in plain sight where the truth is being depicted on the show in some form or fashion but it's getting distorted in such a way where there's so much shit going on that you really can't decipher what the actual true narrative is i feel like because i feel like with they've got like 200 episodes out they had to have hit on something that's actually true (laughs) you know there's no yeah. way it's all bullshit. Honestly, it's just it's another form of mind control. I believe so. Distraction. 
Right. You throw all this shit out there, and it's like, well, what the hell is actually the truth? The truth is that aliens created us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going with, at least. But That's funny. Anyways, do you have anything more you want to get into this one? So, Pat, have you ever heard of the book of Ezekiel from the Bible? Yes. So, some people say there's evidence of ancient aliens from this. I would be, <laughs> I would be one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, some people say it could have been hallucinating. I don't really know. Sure. And the website I actually found a lot of this on which is called christiancourier.com. They actually put a lot of evidence up to debunk the ancient alien theory, but they explain kind of both sides, which is nice. Sure. So this is basically a rundown from the beginning, the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel. Now, just a little context. Ezekiel is a captive during a Babylonian conquest at this point, and he's like 13 years old. Sure. And he's by the river Chabar in Babylonia. In Babylonia. Sorry. And he describes... Uh, that the heavens opened and he saw divine visions. As I looked, a storm wind came from the north and a huge cloud with flashing fire enveloped in brightness, from the midst of which something gleamed like electrum. Within it were figures resembling four living creatures. And it goes on to describe these creatures, and they were similar in appearance to men, except they had four faces, one like a man, one like a lion, one like an ox, and one like an eagle. They had hands like men, but feet like calves. And each creature had four wings, two of which covered the body, two of which stretched upward, supporting the lightness of a firmament. Their appearance also was like burning coals of fire, and their movements appeared as flashes of lightning. Beneath these four living creatures were four wheels. Each wheel was fashioned as a wheel within a wheel, and could move in four directions without turning. Moreover, the the rims of the wheels were full of eyes. So that's basically most of the description of what he saw. Sounds like a spaceship to me. Sounds like a freaking spaceship to me. Full of eyes. That sounds like you, you ever see those flying saucers where it's like the lights. Yeah. What else would a person recognize a light bulb as but an eye? Right. Yeah. Very interesting from the book of Ezekiel. I feel like we could do a second part on this ancient astronaut discussion with mostly yeah, biblical could. stuff like that. Sure. Because there's a ton there and we could we could do an entire episode just on what you just brought up. Honestly. Right. <laughs> but um, that's really interesting. The book of Ezekiel. Now I'm looking at it. I'm assuming you have it open. Is that the book of Ezekiel? Yes. And I literally copied down first couple paragraphs. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. Very good stuff. And from that website as well. Awesome. Now, I think it's about time to wrap this one up. Yeah, definitely. We're getting over time here. Uh, Please tweet us at 30 in the, please let us know your thoughts on ancient aliens. Uh, Giorgio Sukulis, if you're out there, please tweet us at 30 in the, we'd love to get you on the show. If any of you guys have ever been to any of these sites, Tweet us at 30 in a, or con- comment on our Facebook page. Yes, we do have a site in our state, uh, Serpent Mound, down in, uh, near Cincinnati, Ohio, I believe. Yeah. That's a site that is in the discussion in all these in all these we things. We gotta go check that place out. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, it wouldn't be megalithic because it's not stone, but it'd be the mound builders. We really don't know a whole lot about, we don't know anything about the culture that could have built that. Graham Hancock gets into it a little bit on that Joe Rogan episode. Okay. Again, it's, it's pretty awesome. It, it fits with everything else that's going on in the rest of the world, though. Yeah. I mean, the just the precision of it and where it points and how it sits. And it really fits his theory of civilization in the Americas 100,000 years ago. See, we keep running into more evidence for that being true. I yeah. mean, I think the land bridge theory that exists has kind of been blown out of the water just by the news stories that we've covered. Yeah, definitely. That's finding evidence of humans <laughs> here 10,000 years before the land bridge would have hit. Right. I also saw one about like a Stonehenge-like structure in Lake Michigan that they found. Mm. Like, what the fuck is that about? Right. I haven't heard anything about that one. <laughs> 
but there's evidence that it's real. So, anyways, please tweet us at 30 and uh, please keep listening to the episode. Please check us out on Facebook. I posted something to the Facebook wall today, or yesterday maybe. I don't think it got much attention, but... I don't know. I haven't really been on Facebook. Yeah, we gotta get... We I gotta, gotta get, get... I gotta get on there. I, I might post a lot of these pictures from uh, what these sites look like. Yes, I got a few pictures that we're gonna have to post as well. The handbags, for example, that needs to be posted up there. Definitely. But uh, please keep listening. Please tweet us. Thank you guys for listening. Please keep telling your friends about it and your family about it. It's a pretty fun show. I felt like the last episode was good. I feel like this one was probably gonna be a pretty good discussion, too. So. I feel like so. Anyways, it's about time to get the <laughs> hell out of here, so... Peace! I don't know. It's always been one of the two. But this guy ended up cornering me, and he's like, well, Pat, do you like Pat or you like Patrick? I'm like, well, Bob, you know, he just said I really never never had a preference. He's like, come on, you have to have a preference. I'm like, you know, Bob, unfortunately, I've never had a preference. I've had a many people ask me this question. I've always told them the same exact thing. And he's like, okay, Pat, let me ask you this. Do you like Coke or do you like Pepsi? I'm like, you know, Bob, I like Coke a little bit better. Like, well, let me ask you this now. Do you like Patty or like Patrick? And I'm like, I'm not answering your question, Bob. <laughs> and I think that was the last time that guy ever talked to me. What a weirdo. He was, it was really bad. But if I were, if I were on top of things, I would have been like, you know, Bob, I'd prefer to be referred to as sir. Just, just see what he would have said. You should have. That would have been funny. That guy was a clown. He didn't do a goddamn thing. Oh, real quick. Uh-oh. You know what I noticed last couple of recordings? This space remaining for recording, 674 hours and 52 minutes. And it used to be a lot higher. Is, so that, a, is that a warning? I think that's a countdown to how much longer we're going to be able to record. I don't know what that means. That's that, what I'm guessing. That's for your, your disk space is your hard drive space. It says disk, disk space. Disk space is a hard drive space. Oh. So I would have the to hard get a disk. Ever heard of the hard disk? Sure. So I would have to get a new hard drive. Is that what that means? Or I would just have to empty it because it goes down. Six hundred and seventy-four hours is a lot of hours. That is, but if We've you think been... about it, we we do about an hour episode a week. So our weeks are numbered. <laughs> No, absolutely not. We do about 80 to 90 minutes. We do up between 75 and 90 minutes for recording a week. 674 weeks is... <laughs> I guess we got... That gives us 10 years. We've got 10 years <laughs> of weekly recordings. That's not bad. <laughs> if we're still doing this in 10 years... We better be fucking rich. We better have something going on. Or we better be having an awful lot of fun. This is our fucking... This is our fucking countdown right here. Yeah, like the fucking like in that one music video. Dude. Remember that remember that, that uh that nickelback music video where everybody had numbers over their heads? And it's like if someone's number was getting really low, they're about to die soon. Oh jeez, I know. And then there was one person that didn't have a number and you had to save the life of somebody and then you got a number and then they had to it, Nickelback wrote this deep of a song? Yeah, I was like, show me what it's like to be the last one standing. Yeah, I remember that remember one. Remember that one? It's all right. Yeah, it's not a bad song. I wasn't a Nickelback fan. I liked a few of their songs, but... But, dude, we should... We should be like... Everybody, 4.30 in the morning, we only have 674 hours left.
our last episode will be at the end. Okay. Six hundred. We'll, we'll make we'll make a plan. <laughs> God, we couldn't come up with six hundred and seventy four <laughs> more hours of this bullshit. Yeah, like, we're we already will. kind of running on fumes outside of Ben Hooper's bullshit that he gives us. Nah, we'll we'll figure it out. Anyways. I think that was a pretty good discussion. Do you have anything more you want to get into this one? Well, I could get into the Ezekiel package, but if you... Pat package. <laughs> Can you do it in like two minutes? Passage. I could try and do it quick, yeah. All right, sounds good. So, now a lot of... The pressure is on. Yes. I feel like I feel like such an ass. So I literally spend the entire article talking, and it's like you have one thing. I'm like, can you do it in no. two minutes? <laughs> no, I'm you're such good. A dick. So, Pat, have you ever heard of the Book of Ezekiel from the Bible? Yes. 